You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. FireEye says the Triton actor is back. There's some ICS malware staged in an unnamed critical infrastructure facility. And it looks as if the people who went after a petrochemical plant in 2017 are back for battle space preparation. Kaspersky describes Project Taj Mahal, a cyber espionage effort against a Central Asian embassy. And California's motor voter program hits a hacker-induced bump in the road. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. FireEye announced this morning that they were investigating activity by the Triton Actor, whose operations they've discovered in a critical infrastructure facility. Which facility and where that facility is located aren't specified in the report, but FireEye stresses that it's not the same plant in which Triton malware was first detected. It's worth noting that FireEye doesn't say that the destructive Triton malware itself was found in the facility, but rather that they found the Triton actor and some use of the Triton framework. The attack showed the now-familiar mix of commodity and custom-built code, and this particular infestation is noteworthy for the steps it took to evade detection and establish long-term persistence in the systems it targeted. FireEye's report lists seven distinct tools with 15 components among them, They appear to have been pulled together in a way designed to evade detection by security tools and to establish persistence in the targeted environment. The researchers emphasize that the Triton actor has a deep interest in ensuring prolonged and persistent access to the target environment. That's not unusual for campaigns directed against industrial control systems, especially ones mounted by nation-states, and the Triton actor seems to be an intelligence organ. FireEye notes that nation-states are likely to stage such incursions into industrial control systems as contingency operations. Another way of putting this would be to say that we're seeing battle space preparation. Just as an air force would want its target folders prepared as far in advance as possible, and to have the ordnance it thought itself likely to need for battlefield air interdiction staged into the theater of operations in advance, so too with ICS malware. Find the targets you think you'll need to hit, get the malware in unobtrusively and in persistent form, and then it's there when you want it. So which nation-state is probably implicated in this case? Not, we'd conjecture, the operators behind Gossip Girl, the supra-threat actor researchers at Google's corporate sister Chronicle described earlier this week as involved with the various versions of Stuxnet, Dooku, and Flame. Instead, Triton, which has also been called Trisis, has been attributed by FireEye and others to the Russian government. FireEye rather delicately points this out in their report on the latest infestation. 
Triton's earlier appearance in an operation against a petrochemical facility said to be in a Middle Eastern country was alarming for the way it affected safety systems. The malware was targeted against the Triconic safety instrumented system produced by Schneider Electric and widely used in plant safety operations. That incident didn't kill or hurt anyone, but compromising a safety system is nasty business. What the Triton actor was up to in this latest incident is so far unclear, but the activity again showed an unpleasant targeting of safety instrumented systems. As organizations move toward the cloud for data storage and services, they can find themselves reevaluating how they protect their assets. Dr. Ratinder Ahuja is CEO at ShieldX Networks, and he advocates a technique called elastic micro segmentation. So, over the last few years, uh, enterprises, in looking at situations like Equifax, uh, have come to a conclusion that they need to supplement their boundary security strategies with a more pervasively deployed uh, security strategy. So meaning uh, most enterprises have deployed uh, security controls at the boundaries of the data center, so firewalls, intrusion threat prevention, data loss prevention, and various controls. But for a couple of reasons, those boundaries get bypassed. One of them is under the right set of circumstances, there's a failure of, uh, of the controls and uh, the attacker can get in, just like what happened at Equifax. Uh, but more recently, as you adopt a multi-cloud architecture, the boundary itself becomes elastic. So that is extending out into the public cloud. So you have private data centers connecting to the public cloud. So you're dealing with a data center boundary that is scaling out and, and moving out in the public cloud. So this then again um, warrants that you have controls that are equally uh, elastic and equally agile. And enterprises have started saying, well, can I bring these controls closer to the workloads. So if you have, for example, a PCI zone, and those have in the past been very rigidly defined structures. So you have uh, a set of controls around a set of assets. But as these assets want to take advantage of the elasticity of the cloud, they would like to migrate them into the public cloud, uh, take advantage of the agility promise of the cloud. So, so then this concept came along, which says, why can't I create micro perimeters around my workloads? So as they uh, migrate, my security intention goes along with it. So one such uh, technique is called segmentation or micro-segmentation, where you take assets that were uh, in a flat environment and you place uh, boundaries around them. So again, if you do that in a, in a static fashion, that would again defeat the purpose because you'd be configuring those um, micro-perimeters uh, over and over again. So the approach that ShieldX took was to first uh, discover your environment, uh, all with full automation, and this discovery then helps us understand uh, what the layout of the applications is, and more importantly, automatically generate policy, security policy. And then we transform the security policy, what we call your security intention, into a set of controls that are coupled to your intention. So this is where the, the concept of elasticity comes in, that as these workloads migrate, as these applications scale up and down, our continuous discovery transforms your intention into a set of controls, including uh, micro-segmentation and threat prevention and preventing the kill chain from progressing uh, laterally. And hence, we call it uh, the elastic mic micro-segmentation because it's not rigidly defined. It's define your intent. What do you mean when you say intent? Where, where, how does that no. uh, fall into place? If your assets were fairly static, you could, you could say, you know, here's how I want to protect them. But in the multi-cloud, where you have DevOps and CloudSoft teams that are adopting these multi-cloud architectures, with the idea of harnessing the agility promise of this cloud. So now security is even more orthogonal 
to these uh, application development teams. So what, what security can now hope for is to say, I need a system which can capture my security intention. And then with full automation, discover things as they happen, and then transform that intention into actual controls because they can no longer mandate where certain things show up. So you can no longer say, well, you know, every time you bring up a web server, you have to talk to me first because those web servers will scale up because a machine decides that we need more, that they need more capacity. So, so that is why what we have come to the conclusion is that we, we need a system where the security teams can express their intention and then have a fully automated system transform that intention into actual controls by, by watching the environment and learning from the environment and then creating those controls to satisfy the intent. So the security team doesn't have to go wire things up anymore because they cannot in these uh, agile cloud worlds. So you need this automation to transform intent into actual controls. That's Dr. Ratinder Ahuja from ShieldX Networks. Another apparently state-directed APT framework is being reported by researchers at Kaspersky Lab. This one seems more interested in relatively conventional espionage, the theft of information from its target. The researchers call it Taj Mahal, and they say it's both quiet and sophisticated, having been operated since at least 2013. The package is delivered in two modules, Tokyo and Yokohama. Tokyo gets deployed initially, and then it's followed by Yokohama if the target is sufficiently interesting to warrant further collection. So far, an unnamed Central Asian country's diplomatic networks have been affected. Kaspersky sensibly notes that we shouldn't take this too seriously as definitive evidence of narrow interest or restricted operations. They think it likely there are other victims out there they simply haven't found yet. After all, Taj Mahal is, Kaspersky says, sophisticated, and a lot of work went into it. It strikes them as unlikely a nation-state would make such a heavy investment in an espionage campaign of such apparently limited scope. Wired calls Taj Mahal a Swiss army knife, a tool with lots of distinct components that perform distinct functions. Kaspersky hasn't attributed the operation to any particular nation-state, but since we're accustomed to looking for clues in the names of threat actors, we should probably get that particular red herring out of the way to begin with. We all know that if it's a bear, it's Russia, if it's a panda, that means China, and that kitty cats tend to hail from Iran. But in this case, there seems to be nothing of the sort going on. There's no particular indication that Taj Mahal means an Indian government op, and there's even less than no particular indication that calling the two big modules Tokyo and Yokohama point to Japan. They're just names, for now anyway, because you've got to call these things, well, something. California's Motor Voter Program, which would enmesh the state's driver and voter registration systems, is now thought to be insecure, with the Department of Motor Vehicles hacked and compromised. The Los Angeles Times says the tip-off came when someone noticed a DVM server phoning home to Croatia. So our California desk is no better at geography than any other graduates of their Los Angeles high school, but they're pretty sure there's no exit for Zagreb on the 405. So maybe the 110, because all those underpass pillars around San Pedro can get confusing, but probably not there either. So the DMV picked up on that pretty quickly, too. An email obtained, as journalists say, by the L.A. Times included a remark from one of the DMV staffers who sounded the alarm. It went like this, quote, My Latin is a bit rusty, but I think Croatia translates to hacker heaven, End quote.
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research for the SANS Institute. He's also host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to have you back. Uh, we saw some stories come by recently about um, hidden cameras that have been found in some Airbnb apartments. Uh, and you've got some tips for uh, protecting yourself against these sorts of things. So what, do you, what are your suggestions? Yeah, so essentially, you have to be aware that these cameras may exist. And you definitely want to be on the lookout for them. So first thing, of course, to do is uh, look for any odd devices that you find in the apartment that are sort of out of place. Let's say a fire alarm sensor in the bathroom. Uh, usually you don't have uh, fire alarm sensors or smoke detectors uh, in the bathroom. So that would be sort of one thing to look a little bit closer at. Hmm. Uh, maybe also oddly placed sensors and uh, motion sensors and the like, uh, because they often include these little cameras the second thing you could do is uh, just run a little network scan on the Wi-Fi network. Now, usually they offer a free Wi-Fi network in these apartments. Uh, so what you should do is just break out good old Nmap or whatever your favorite port scanner is and run a quick port scan on the inside. Check if there are any open web servers. Uh, that often is an indicator that you may have a camera or some other device that you probably want to take a closer look at. Hmm. Now, the last thing you could do is uh, just uh, from within the Wi-Fi network again, uh, go to a website like Shodan, uh, also check what your IP address is, your external IP address, and then 
look up on Shodan on this IP address. Has Shodan found anything like cameras or so in the past? That sort of gives you a quick external look at this. This may not be 100% effective because often these are consumer internet connections with dynamic IP addresses, mm. but it gives mm. us another data point to check, you know, if maybe uh, the owner of this apartment was smart enough to sort of hide uh, these cameras on the network internally, but they want to connect to them, so maybe they didn't protect that properly. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, uh, it seems to be a growing problem. It's, it's sort of this intersection of, the availability of these inexpensive, small, uh, well-disguised cameras, and and also uh, the uptick in things like Airbnb. Yeah, and you know, the the host also may feel like they have a legitimate uh, reason to protect themselves with these cameras uh, to prevent damage to their apartments. Of course, we have also seen in some of these news reports that they were obviously used maliciously, and then uh, some of these uh, video streams were actually uh, sold for sort of as pay. Uh, pay-per-view uh, video streams. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I, I, what I understand from from some of those stories is that uh, it's not out of bounds for an Airbnb uh, owner to have a camera in the uh, in the residence, but they have to tell you about it. Correct. Uh, now, there's of course a lot of local restrictions on that. Uh, even personally, with security cameras uh, in my own home, I always recommend against putting them inside the house. Uh, just for the privacy risk and the risk that someone may gain access to these cameras uh, without authorization. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a good insight. All right, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.